This podcast is brought to you by the book, The Memoir Project, a thoroughly non-standardized text for writing in life, published by Grand Central Publishing. Recently updated and reissued in a new edition, it will teach you everything you need to know to write memoir. For more information, see the show notes or purchase wherever books are sold. Welcome to QWERTY. I'm Marion Roach-Smith. Each episode, I talk to writers from all genres to discover what makes a good read. And along the way, we discuss their writing process, discover their tips, and talk about what matters most to writers. So step away from the computer or typewriter for a bit and join us. Today, my guest is writer Scott Kieser. He's the author of two books, both of which persuasively argue about the power of words to move, bewitch, and persuade. His new book is called Rhetorica, published by Rethink Press. Welcome, Scott. Hi, Marion. Delighted to be here. Well, it's delightful to hear you. And I really do think this is, as we were saying offline, this is also a physically beautiful book. And I want oh. everybody to go get it. It's <laughs> it's just a gorgeous artifact as well as a, a lovely piece of work. So congratulations. Thank you. That's that's very sweet of you to say so. And and, and I just, I do, I mean, obviously as a writer and, and I'm sure people listening can relate to this. I've always been in love with books, not just to read them, but as physical, tactile artifacts, to use your word from from earlier. So I'm I am very pleased with rhetoric, I have to say. I, I think it is a lovely thing to hold as well as hopefully to read. It is. It is. And I did both. I held it and I read it. So this is good. So you've had tremendous professional success helping businesses find their voices. Specifically, since 2004, you've helped over 5,000 professionals find their voices and get the results they seek. Your clients include The Economist Group and all the big four accounting firms. And you took what you know and turned it into this lovely book with a system of 15 persuasive writing techniques that are simple and that work. So let's talk about that for a moment, since my audience is writers, and many of them have professional accomplishments, but do not know how to convert their expertise into a book, though they really want to do that. So set this up for them. How and when did this book develop? Right. It's, um, I suppose it really started when I met somebody called Andy Maslin in 2004, who was at the time one of the best copywriters in Britain and uh, has since gone on to, to write novels. So he's left the, the professional copywriting space. But he and I basically got together. We were introduced by a mutual friend and we ended up founding a company called Write for Results, which is my current company. And we worked together delivering training courses to the likes of the Economist Group, as you've mentioned. And in fact, our very first gig in January 2004 in a snowbound New York City was to the Economist Group. And that's really where it started. So we ended up being the preferred trainers to the Economist Group for a decade. Mm -hmm. And that inevitably, obviously, uh, opened up a lot of doors for us. And we've delivered a lot of very successful training courses in persuasive writing and in copywriting and workshops. So in in 2011, I went on a course called KPI, which was about how to become the key person of influence in your industry. And one of the one of the things that they invited and encouraged um, subscribers to do was to write a book. 
And my first book was actually uh, not Rhetorica. My first book was called Winner Takes All, and that was on how to double your tender win rate. In other words, how to win more bids, tenders, pitches, and proposals. Because that's what I'd done uh, at Ernst & Young for about six years. Ernst & Young in London. I worked as part of a small team, and within 18 months, we'd helped the UK firm to double its tender win rate. And I thought in combination with the course that I was on, it was about time I wrote a book. And so I did. And that and that was a really gratifying experience and and opened even more doors for me. And I thought, well, you know, if I can write that book, then I'm sure there's another book in me. But I had to wait another five years uh, before I was ready to write Rhetorica. And that was because consciously or subconsciously, I felt the need to to get more training years and more training experience under my belt mm. uh, around the subject of persuasive writing. Mm -hmm. But when I, when I felt ready to write the book in about 2015, I had already trained about 4,000, 3,500 people in persuasive writing, um, all with all of whom had given really amazing feedback on the technique. So I knew that there was a book in me. Mm -hmm. So I diligently, obviously being a, I practice what I preached and I planned every single chapter. And in <laughs> fact, Rhetorica, the book that came out in 2016, presents 21 techniques. Mm -hmm. And so I planned, I did 21 mini mind maps, a mind map for every chapter. And that enabled me to write the book very, very quickly. I wrote the book cover to cover in three months in the first draft because I was oh. so clear in my head mm -hmm. uh, about what was going to go in it. Yes. Okay. So my mistake in the opener, I said 15 persuasive writing techniques. I meant 21, and that's a great correction. And we're going to talk about corrections because your last chapter is all about typos, which I just loved. But we're let's let's just back up a little bit. Sure. You, you did start with the beginning. You argue in the opener of this lovely book that, quote, any big idea you care to mention was given life through words. And that's true, of course. In my family, we have a motto, and it's just say it with words. And while yeah. it's kind of funny, it's also born of the realization that the power to communicate seems to be missed or misunderstood by many. It's underestimated every time we sloppily communicate anything. So talk to me a bit through your expertise on the need to understand valuing each word. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I suppose it's two things, really. It, it is, well, it's actually probably many more than two, but let's start off with two. The, the first is, whatever you're communicating, your, your reader, and obviously we're talking about the written word here, you're, and particularly as I work in business, in B2B, your reader needs to be able to get your message in one go, in one reading. Uh, it's not like a novel where if you love the writing and the characters and the, and the writer, you're going to savor it and reread a whole paragraph and maybe flip back, you know, savor the language. It's more, it can be more utilitarian in B2B writing. So the first imperative for me is sheer clarity. And in my training, I ask people, a question that may come across as as rather facile, which is, what is clarity? And they say, well, it's being clear. And I, and I say, well, actually, clarity for me is more than that. Clarity, clear writing is writing that's so clear, your reader gets it in one go, in mm -hmm. one reading. Mm -hmm. And that, that I think is vital because 
people are so stressed and so busy in in business that um, they they're not going to invest the time and energy in rereading your stuff if it's not immediately clear. Right. So that clarity is the first the first thing. The the second is that I think the best B two B writing, particularly if you're trying to change somebody's behaviour. Uh, which for me is is a definition of persuasive writing. You're trying to get them to think or feel or act differently from the way they were before they read your words. It's about moving them as well. Mm-hmm. It's about writing in a way that resonates with them and that they can hear your voice. So the authorial voice comes through in your words that is something that is singularly missing, in my opinion, in B2B writing. Most B2B writing is dull and jargony and robotic, and, and it's actually been dehumanized. A lot of B2B writing is, is non-human, uh, and therefore we can't divine the sense or the spirit or the voice of the, of the, the human being behind the words. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's missing a trick. So there is something around voice and authenticity. So we're going to dig into voice and clarity Mm. in a minute, but Mm. um, define quickly the B2B writing definition. Yes. So business to business covers Mm -hmm. a multitude of sins, ranging from whether you're writing a blog or a LinkedIn post or an article or a thought leadership piece Mm -hmm. or a horizon scanning piece in your industry or your sector. Uh, whether you're writing a book, a report, a bid, a pitch, a tender or a proposal, mm-hmm. my, all my techniques apply universally to an, any of the above. Great. And they apply, I found myself while reading the book, applying them to my op-ed writing, to my memoir writing, to my personal essays. Mm. And so B2B, I think it's just not a phrase that everybody listening in might have mm. known. So I wanted to make sure, sure they understood yeah, that. Sure. So I, I love the way this book is structured. Three parts, plan, draft, edit. So let's mm. begin with planning. I think many people think that writing is some kind of cosmic experience that drops <laughs> from the gods into <laughs> our heads and hearts and comes magically out through our fingers. And I can say mm. with great assurance, having written in published hundreds of thousands of words that that has never once happened to me. So (laughs) you remind us in your book of the old adage, fail to plan, plan to fail. Well, Mm. my audience is entirely writers writing for mass market publishing. Mm. And Mm. you state in this book that planning gets us on our main message. And I would agree. So talk to us a little bit more about the relationship between planning and clarity, please. Sure. Planning is, in my opinion, planning is the most creative part of the writing process, particularly in the B2B space in which I currently work. Because for me, when we're planning and when we're planning properly, we should adopt what I call divergent, expansive, radiant thinking. You know, we're thinking outside the box. We're thinking of the big picture. We're thinking of all the things that we might want to include in our writing in our communication. And so it's divergent thinking. And that's, for me, very closely allied to creative thinking. You know, we're brainstorming either solo or with with our team or with colleagues, all the things that we might want to, the content that we might want to include in our writing. And once we're clear about that, we need to always, by the way, being cognizant of who the reader is and what their pain points are. And 
their motivation for reading our words. Once we're clear about that, we then need to structure the content in a way that is logical and makes sense to the reader and renders our communication navigable and easy to follow. Mm-hmm. So ironically, Marion, one of the biggest problems I see, particularly in business-to-business writing, but generally anyway, is writing that is ill-structured, mm-hmm. where the writer begins with topic A and then jumps to topic F and then back to C and on yep. to D and, and so on and so forth. And most readers, particularly in business, who I said earlier, tend to be stressed and very busy. They're they're spinning lots of different plates in the air at once. They're going to be very unforgiving of writing that is ill-structured. And so they don't know where they are, where they've been or where they're going. Mm. So so planning is absolutely vital. Uh, People pay lip service to it. But in my experience, very few people do it well if they do it at all. I mean, I was training a group today, a group of management consultants. It was a small coaching group. And I said, how's your planning going? And there was this sort of stunned, deafening silence where they'd sort of (laughs) forgotten to plan. I said, guys, you know, this is you've got to get the basics right. The advantages of planning are many fold. I mean, you know, just to quote a couple First of all, when we plan, we gain clarity. We gain clarity about who our reader is. We gain clarity about our objective or our purpose. In other words, why are we writing this and what? how do we want to change the reader's behavior? What dimensions of their behavior are we trying to change? It, in, it clarifies the structure and the signposting and the, na- and the navigation. And crucially, it separates thinking from writing. I observe a lot of people in business and indeed outside of business trying to do all three activities at once, i.e. planning, drafting and editing at the same time. <laughs> and that that is a recipe for confusion and confused writing. Absolutely. Mm. I see that all the time and I have people, I have various ways that I try to get them to slow down and consider what they're going to write first. Mm. And many of my writers use charts, drawings, spreadsheets, mm-hmm. all sure. manners. We've, I've talked before in this podcast about the great American writer John McPhee and his sketches and the shirt cardboards that the great nonfiction writer Gay Talese uses to sketch out his work. You suggest mind maps, and I'll put a link in to the Mm. great mind map guru. You suggest mind maps for a way to draw out the clarity you seek when writing. And you also make a good solid point um, that if not a mind map, maybe you want to use post-it notes or any other method that works. I've used index cards on a cork Mm. board. So just give us another minute or so about this idea of mapping and planning Mm. and give people permission to say, Oh, you know, because so many writers, they actually mm. make a sketch, but then they, they think they're the only one who's ever done it. I've, I, I really believe in it. What about you? Sure. No, I'm, I'm, well, I'm obviously a solid convert to the idea of mind mapping uh, developed in the 1970s by Tony Buzan, B-U-Z-A-N, if any of your listeners are inter- interested. For me, mind mapping is a fantastic way of getting lots of ideas down on one piece of paper and I say advisedly paper not screen so I'm a great believer in making planning a dynamic physical tactile process so you know when when I'm planning anything that I'm writing 
and I did it last week, I took myself off for a solo retreat to think about my year ahead. And I took magic markers and crayons and great big sheets of, of A1 paper. And, mm-hmm. and, and actually, I played with it. I was mm-hmm. playful. Mm-hmm. So there is something around playfulness being linked to creativity when we're on our feet and we're mind mapping and we're thinking and we're talking out loud and thinking out loud, either solo or with other people, that stimulates the creative process. And, you know, I get the fact that mind mapping is not for everyone. I get that. Mm-hmm. But as you just suggested, use index cards or do spider maps or just do doodle on a great big piece of paper. The yes. point I'm making is that the more tactile, the more physical, the more dynamic and ideally non-sedentary the planning process is, I think the more creative it's going to be. And the divergent thinking that I talked about comes to the fore, particularly when you're mind mapping, because that's the whole premise of mind mapping. Huh. is your your thoughts are radiating out from a central image and a central idea uh, yeah. but you've got you've got to find what works for you and i love that and i think giving permission to people to sketch it out have some fun be playful go on a solo mm. retreat you know even if it's just to the furthest corner of your small apartment um, mm. away from your family with some sure. a box of crayons and a big piece of paper yeah allows us to see that we have to get this on the page. And I agree with you, on paper, mm. that by getting it on the page, we get to see what territory we want to cover. And yeah. and mm. it's just a gorgeous way of thinking about it. You really make a strong argument, and you mentioned this before, about how all this process that you, that you suggest, these 21 points, also really get in, allow an authentic voice, a voice that that writes with personality, persuasion, and power. Mm. Mm. But if there's a question I get more than any other question, it's this. How does a writer find that authentic voice? What tips (laughs) do you have for people? Can I answer that by telling you a little story? Yes. We we all love stories. (laughs) A couple of years ago, I uh, I was running a workshop in... Uh, in a client of mine in the city of London. The people attending it were graduates, so they newly joined the company and they were fresh out of university and they were shiny-eyed and bushy-tailed and fresh-faced and <laughs> and all the rest of it. So in the morning, I shared my rhetorical writing techniques with them and then the afternoon, and this is the format of, of all my workshops, in the afternoon, uh, I gave them a longer writing exercise to do where I had asked them to to either bring in a piece of writing that they'd already produced and rewrite it or rework it or to start from scratch. And there was a particular girl, uh, I think her name was Gabrielle, very bright. I mean, they're all graduates. They're very bright, highly educated people. And about halfway into the the exercise, because it was a 90-minute exercise, she came to me and she was obviously really flustered. And I said, Gabrielle, what's the problem? She was almost in tears. She said with tears of frustration, she said, Scott, I just can't find the right words. Mm. And I, I just looked her in the eyes and I said, tell me what you're trying to say as if you were explaining it to your significant other, your husband or your partner or your best friend or your sister or brother or mum or dad or whatever. And she turned to me, she looked a bit funny, and then she just went, well, what I really mean is, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It was fantastic. And I yeah. said, write that. That's your first draft. Oh. 
And so what I developed from that is a very, very simple technique, which is that if you are struggling to find your voice, then grab your mobile phone or your cell phone, as I think you guys say on the other side of the pond, grab your cell phone and create an audio file, speak into the, into the cell phone what you're trying to say. You will create an audio file, you know, using using one of the default audio apps on your cell phone, and that will be your first draft. You then upload that to a transcription service like Rev.com or mm-hmm. Otter.ai, and then you can start work on your first draft. But I've found that people, particularly dyslexic people, really relate to verbalizing what they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. It's almost a physiological process whereby they're dragging from deep within them up through their sort of windpipe and their lungs and their throat and their voice. They're verbalizing what they're trying to express through the written word. And often by trying to jump too early to the written word, mm-hmm. you know, slows them down or, or undermines the whole process and their confidence as well. Well, that's a great little story. And it, and it speaks to the sound of the voice and Mm, what we can do with it. And it really links to the next question I have, which is you suggest reading aloud. And oh, how I love this. I suggest (laughs) this to all of my students. I learned this from my very first book editor, the great Nan Talese, who taught me to read aloud, touching a pencil to every word while Mm. I read. And I do it Mm. every single day. Mm -hmm. And my husband is a writer, and he does it. And it's really good that we live just the two of us, because anyone walking (laughs) through this house would think there's two mad people in this house, because we're constantly reading aloud, pacing around, reading to ourselves. So what is the value of reading aloud? You kind of just covered a little bit, but just get under that a bit more in terms of, because it's Mm. different than recording your initial thoughts to your home people on your phone in a way. What is the value to reading your work aloud to yourself? Of all my 21 rhetorical techniques, I think, you know, it's, it's my favorite because it's so elegantly simple or it's so simple, but it's so elegantly effective. Every professional writer, as you've just said, does it or should do it. Mm-hmm. I think it does lots of things. I think it helps us to verbalize what we're trying to express through the written word. But obviously, we're reading out loud what, what we've already committed to pen and paper or or we've put on the screen. And it enables us to hear the music and the cadence and the rhythm of our writing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm making these points in no particular order, but that that is one of the benefits that I think great writing has an auditory element to it. So not only not only should great writing read well, I think it should sound good as well. Mm -hmm. And the the obverse of that, if you like, is that if something is hard to say, it's probably going to be hard to read. So it's a great way of checking your work. It's Mm -hmm. also a great way of assessing the tone of voice of your writing, because when we hear it out loud audibly, we are more likely to hear it as it will sound to our reader and make them feel. So ROL is a great way of assessing the tone of voice of your writing. And then I think there's another thing as well, which um, the great Peter Elbow in one of his superb books said, which is we need to enlist the support of something that we find easiest to do, i.e. speaking, to help us with what we find hardest to do, i.e. writing. 
And so that is about vocalizing and verbalizing what we're trying to commit and express through the written word. And the other thing I love, Marion, about ROL, it's just anybody can do it. (laughs) You know, it's like you don't need a degree in quantum physics to do it. It's, It's within the gift of everybody. No batteries required. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it. There's a a million different varieties of of using one's voice to improve Mm. one's writing. But that's the first and foremost one. Read your stuff aloud. It's where I catch repetition of words, right? I have some words that I use too much. That's all there Uh is to it. And Mm, I don't catch them on the page anymore because it's as though I've got blinders on. But I catch them when I read it aloud. And I agree with you about the sound. There is a tone, mm. a tempo, a syncopation to good mm. writing sure. that you feel thrumming in you yep. when you read it, mm. and you can't see it merely on the page. Exactly. It's beautiful. So yep. as we wrap this up, let's talk about that last chapter in the book, which I just love. It's on typos, and it mm. includes some wonderful rules for finding those mistakes in our work. Mm including reading aloud, of course, running a a spelling and grammar check, of course, Mm, and checking for one type of error at a time, Mm. all of which I recommend all the time to my my writers. I say, you know, make one edit that's just for nouns, make Mm. one edit that's just for verbs. And I think we agree on so much. But you have one that I have never seen before, and I tried it, and it was a completely wild ride. You suggest (laughs) that writers read backwards. So go on. Over to you, Scott. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> your, your listeners are going to hate me for this. Of yes, course. They, they are. They, yeah. <laughs> they are. I'm going to be an object of well, ridicule or fun or whatever. But um, yeah, so, you know, if you want to banish any and all typos from your writing, assuming that you've already done a spelling grammar check, you've already read it out loud, this technique is a professional proofreading technique. And that is that you print out your document uh, it's a very inefficient and very exhausting as well to, to proofread on the screen. You print it out and you go to the last page and you go to the last word on the last page and you read from right to left and from the bottom of the page to the top, revealing each new line with a blank piece of paper or index card as you work your way up line by line and word by word from the bottom of the page to the top. And so therefore you are literally reading every line and every page backwards. The reason why this is so effective is because it it destroys the brain's ability to make sense of what you're reading. Because it already assumes that you have checked, you have sense-checked what you've written and you know that it is pretty much 98% saying exactly what you want but it catches all the things that smell cheek might well miss. Like sing where you meant sign, sign where you meant sing, form where you meant from, and from where you meant form. Things like a very bizarre when I when I was using this technique on the manuscript of my second book, numbers inserting into the middle of words, hmm. which was very strange, um, the kind of ghost in the machine. So it is to read backwards from the bottom and the end to the front, the very first word. It prevents the brain going on autopilot. Yes, it does. And that's one of the great problems with writing and editing your mm. own 
work. Sure. It's that when you fall in love with your sentences or you start spacing out, out about the groceries you've got to go get later and mm. your eyes are moving but nothing's mm. going in. Mm. And this, when I tried it, I mm. did. I did curse you. I did several <laughs> times just curse you. My ears were but, burning. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. But it worked. Yeah. And I found the form instead of the from. And I mm. found those things that spell check cannot mm. get. Sure. And absolutely. I, you know, there's nothing like making an, an editor or a potential agent or someone in a publishing house angry, like sending them copy sure. that isn't perfect. Yeah, that's right. It's a that's beautiful right. thing, as is this book. I just can't thank you enough, Scott. I, I think this book is, is as beautiful a book as I've seen. And oh, it's also you. an awful lot of fun to read. And I learned a lot. Oh, so great. Well, that's, thank that's, you. that's compliment indeed coming from you, Marion. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. The author is Scott Kieser. His new book is Rhetorica, out from Rethink Press. See more on him at writeforresults.com. I'm Marion Roach-Smith, and you've been listening to Cordy. Cordy is produced by Overit Studios in Albany, New York. Reach them at overitstudios.com. Our producer is Adam Claremont. Our assistant is Lorna Bailey. Want more on the art and work of writing? Visit marionroach.com, where I offer online classes on how to write memoir. And thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow Cordy wherever you get your podcast and listen to it wherever you go. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It helps others to find their way to their writing lives. 